What's up, everybody? This is Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You're listening to the Pace Rules Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pace Rules on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pace Rules Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers, who are all bust out of the playoff race in the East and very much in the race for fifth, sixth, seventh best lottery odds. With some really interesting developments over the last few weeks, including one of our own heading over across the pond to Indianapolis, getting to interact with Rick Carlisle with a few of the players, getting to see a couple of games and a win. A Tyrese Halliburton game winner was amongst that as well. We'll talk about all that as well as where this team is at right now and what the last couple of weeks of the season holds my name's adam i am joined by alex and justin justin we'll start with you because you've just come back from indianapolis um and a huge shout out right off the jump for john christopher who is a friend of the show and a guy that's been working for the paces organization for the last couple of years it is fair to say john hooked you up in a way that none of us ever expected and we are extremely thankful for everything that john was able to do for you and for us while you were over there it sounds like a once in a lifetime sort of experience yeah it was thanks adam before i start talking about trip are you gonna ask me if i got a knife on me or (laughs) (laughs) that's a crocodile dundee joke i get it that's not a knife this is a knife like that's that's Rick's vintage. So everyone loves Crocodile Dundee in America that is like between the ages of 40 and 70. So I got it. I got it straight away. I know that not everyone did, but um, yeah, everyone loves like Paul Hogan and Crocodile Dundee. I, but you didn't get it either straight away, did you? You didn't really realize what he was talking about. Well, I think I was just a bit in shock because I was yeah, trying yeah. to portray my question perfectly and I was so nervous because I had like Tony E sitting next to me. Scott Agnes was there, a few other media uh, people were there and I was shout just- out to Tony and Scott for geeing you up to ask a question too like those guys set you up for success yeah I, I don't think I would have if um I, I, I would I would have chickened out if they weren't there I think they really wrapped me up and um I was even like nervous when I got the microphone like how loud do I talk into the microphone I don't know how like how large it is and um, yeah, then Rick like spoke over me and said like, you John Christopher's friend. And then I r- started saying the question again. Then he said, hey, mate. And I was like, oh, hey. And then <laughs> it says the knife comment. So I think I did pretty well with the question. Um, did mispronounce Halliburton's name the second time I said it, which was uh, very annoyed about. But um, yeah, my answer obviously got onto the pace of socials. So yeah, all in all, great trip. Um, like you mentioned at the top, if John's listening, um, thank you so much. Like words can't express kind of what you did for me and us as a pacer is podcast, like going to that Philadelphia game, asking Andrew Nemhart and TJ McConnell questions before the game and all the players know about the pacer is podcast. And I'll just say to you too, because I haven't really spoken to you too since I got back is they, they've listened to us, which is pretty surreal. And they love our work and Alex, like they love your work. Like every person, every player I met, every staff member, it was like, oh, you're with AK Riley. Yeah. Like, oh man, his, his stuff's awesome. Wish he could work for the team. Got to get him over there. I think they're all disappointed to see me, not you, to be honest. So, <laughs> the main um, event, Alex Riley. 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. So I think you've got to make it over there. So do you, Adam. But um, yeah, definitely, Alex, they they love your work and it should be like inspiring to you that, you know, someone like Halliburton and, and Miles Turner basically have said how much they love you. So yeah, great, great work, I guess. Alex, that's got to feel a, good, right? I was going to say, I also got to give a shout out to Scott because I know he, he mentioned me on the podcast that you were on with him, Justin. Yeah. He's been an advocate of mine in indie for like three or four years when i had basically no followers so yeah it's always crazy to hear that that players have, have watched my videos and you know it, it, i guess it reassures what we're doing right that the people listen and i know we haven't been as active as we hoped but we're trying to get to uh to more weekly stuff so hopefully people keep listening to what we're doing yeah that's absolutely right and i think the the good thing for us after a, a rough couple of years to be a Pacers fan is that it's all sort of about to turn around with the end of this season and heading into the off season. Um, we're approaching a point where we miss the playoffs for the second year in a row. That's really uncharacteristic for this franchise. It must feel weird for the people that have been working for this franchise for five, 10, 15, 20 more years. Um, and that's something that, I think people would really struggle with, um, you know, 33 and 43 clinched a losing record for the second year in a row as well. So off the back of the Benedict uh, Matherin draft lottery pick, we have the opportunity to go into another draft lottery and get to a point where uh, we can draft another difference maker, perhaps a Ford, perhaps a seven foot four Frenchman. Who knows? Uh, There could be any one of a number of different guys that are available to the Pacers. Um, And the good thing is that it looks to be a forward heavy draft between about picks three and pick 10. So we'll get into that probably later and toward the draft. But I just want to talk firstly about the progress or lack thereof of this team and the personnel changes that they've made recently. Buddy Heald has come off the bench for the first time in his season last game. And then he missed this one. Is that sort of a a look into the future for what potentially Rick Carlisle wants to do with this lineup, Justin? Do you think that's kind of hinting at the fact that Buddy might be on the trade block this summer? Yeah, possibly. Uh, I just want to say I feel like the Pacers could have actually made the play-in tournament if they wanted to this season. Um, And I I think it's great progress that the team hasn't done that. You hear Rick Carlisle, who's been steadfast in saying, hey, you know, Kevin Pritchard as well, you know, we don't want to be a 10th seed and then lose to a first, like, first seed if they get through the play-in tournament this year. So with the Buddy Hill question and Matherin starting, I feel like that is a look into the future. And whether that means... Yeah, Buddy's a long-term six-man or he's maybe some trade bait at the end of this season, either or. But you've got to play the young guys, Alex, don't you? Like, there's no point rolling out the Halliburton, Miles Turner, Buddy Hill combo with six games left when we want to see Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, you know, Duarte and Matherin, right? Well, I always bring it back to just last season. The Pacers had to get some minutes between Brogdon and Tyrese to see, like, okay, can these two play together? Yep. And these two work at all. It was terrible. I remember we had an episode talking about the uh, Tyrese when how uh, when Brogdon was out versus when he was playing. It was night and day. So those minutes were huge. And as you just said with Isaiah and Jalen, 
it's been kind of a logjam with with Miles re-signing the extension. I mean, do you keep both of those guys going forward? I think that, you know, whether you play them together now or just play them on and off, I mean, you have to figure out who's that guy going forward. And then, I mean, even getting guys like Nemhard and Mather and Minutes together is important. So, yeah, I think it's great for the young guys. But even, even a guy like I've been really impressed with Nora. I don't know about either of you guys, but, I mean, scoring the ball, cutting really well, rebounding well. Kevin Pritchard, I mean... <laughs> You know, he just has a knack of picking up those guys at the deadline, doesn't he? I think it's a whole, been a hallmark of Kevin Pritchard's run with the Pacers that he's picked up players that haven't been given strong mm-hmm. enough opportunities from their the teams that drafted them. I mean, you look down this list, you even look at Tyrese Halliburton. He wasn't starting for the majority of his Sacramento Kings career because of De'Aaron Fox uh, being on that team. They, they couldn't or wouldn't play both at the same time. But then you look at Jalen Smith. He was a, an off-cut from the Phoenix Suns. Jordan Wara, obviously the same uh, from the Bucks. Aaron Neesmith, the same from the Celtics. Uh, so you've got plenty of guys there that have not really had the opportunity to succeed, and they've come to a ball club that's been rebuilding and retooling and trying to figure out it's both its identity and the right personnel moving forward. And it's a great opportunity for those guys to show what they've got um, and get to a point where they can contribute to an NBA team that is contending for either a playoff spot or a championship. Uh, I want to talk about Matherin just for a sec, because we've seen, you know, Rick Carlisle play these sort of three guard lineups with, you know, Halliburton and Nemhard and Matherin or Halliburton and Heald and Nemhard or a combination of those guys at different points. I can't really see that continuing because Matherin strikes me as a shooting guard. He appears to be the size of a shooting guard for me, but I'm interested in your thoughts of where his position is and if you can play Halliburton and Matherin and a third guard or if you actually need someone bigger, a genuine small forward, Justin, to pair with those guys to kind of make sure that defensively you've got your kind of spine in order for what you need to do on the floor and you have the ability to be able to defend those larger wing players that a lot of teams like to trot out. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I think you probably need someone bigger in that starting rotation. Mastering's been a real strange for me this season. Like, you know, he's probably one of, if not my favourite players to watch already. But start he played 38 out. minutes today. Remember when we were saying he was only getting like 20, 18 minutes? He played 38 minutes. Today's great. You know, 20, yeah. 26 points, four rebounds. He didn't shoot that efficient. But that's what we want to see at the end of the year. These games, you know, Atlanta, two for four from the field, four points. Boston, one for four from the field and two points in 25 minutes. Like, I don't know what... what really happening with him if Rick's trying to maybe teach him a lesson about being a starter in the league and not being like too shot hungry I'm not too sure but I think we need to see more of today against Dallas the 26 points the 19 shot attempts he hasn't taken 19 shot attempts since February can I be the voice of reason a little bit here and challenge that just he's 20 years old and he's never played this many games before and he's never played this many minutes before like I I totally get that we want this guy to be scoring 20 points a game and he's fully capable of doing that. 
I don't think he's capable of doing that for 82 games. I think at the moment he's probably only capable of doing that for like 40 or 50. Um, so the, the inconsistency to me says that potentially conditioning could be something that he has to work on over the summer because he's going to have to be a guy that the Pacers rely on to play 70 to 80 games for the next five, six, seven seasons. So I, I agree that potentially he didn't get enough opportunities under Rick earlier in the season. At the same time, Rick's been around for like 20, 25, 30 years in the coaching fraternity. We may not realize that he is trying to protect Matherin as a 20-year-old from burning out completely and injuring himself. Um, and as a rookie, uh, you definitely don't want that. And sometimes you do see rookies flame out and show real inconsistency toward the end of the season because they've never been asked to play this many minutes before, this many games before, this sort of load on their bodies. Um, Alex, is that a fair thing to say or am I just kind of defending Rick Carlisle here? No, I think it's it's fair, but I'll say this on Justin's point. I think it's a struggle for him to find that role clarity. and. I look at it like Tyrese coming to Indiana last year. The biggest knock on him is that he would have games where he just shot it like once or three or four times. And you know, he would finish with he would finish with nine assists. That's great, but he only scored four points. Right. So when he came to Indy, Rick Carlisle, Kevin Pritchard, they all said, We need you to score. We need you to be that guy. It's kind of the opposite for Mather. And I feel like these last few games you mentioned at Atlanta, Boston, it feels like the last month or so, he's tried to play make more. He's tried to do more out of the pick and roll. And I also think he's been given less opportunities. You know, he'll have stretches where he's just sitting in the corner for a bit. So, yeah, I think, again, it's a little bit of both. It's the growing pains of a young rookie in the league. But it's also about, you know, this guy is trying to understand his role in the league. And he he probably doesn't want to be the guy who just puts up 25 shots in a game. That That's not a guy that teammates want to play with. So... I think it's for him just finding that middle ground. I'd agree with that. And I think the other point you made, Alex, is is well made in the center log jam or the big band log jam that we have right now. Obviously, Daniel Tice won't be with his ball club next season. But when you look at Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson, it's really clear that both of those players are best suited to be centers. And we've just locked down our center for a further two seasons in Miles Turner. So... With that in mind, Justin, which one out of Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson do you keep or do you keep both? Are you going to completely zag when I'm thinking of zigging and we keep both and continue to bring both off the bench in different situations? Well, that's such a tough question. I I feel like it, it's time to part ways with one of them. Pacers have had a logjam for so long. Like you see Goga, although he's shown nothing with Orlando. He's just been, you know, on the team, not having any opportunity to succeed. And I feel like we've got to either pick Jackson or Jalen Smith. And yeah, it's tough. Obviously, we're getting Jalen Smith a lot bigger contract than Isaiah Jackson. Both have shown glimpses to me, but both have been pretty disappointing in the same same sense. I feel like Jalen Smith, I've always said, he's just kind of turning into a spot-up three-point shooter. He's good when he's actually in the paint, crashing the boards, blocking shots. And the same can be said about Isaiah Jackson. Sometimes he'll he'll look great. His, his athleticism, you know, alley-oop dunks, blocking shots that you're just amazed at. But then he'll go through stretches where he just gets bodied down low and he doesn't even look like a, you know, NBA player in some stretches. So 
I feel like to pick, it's really hard. Um, I'd, I'd probably just say to keep Jalen Smith because I might, you know, I feel like he's got a better frame to work with, if that makes sense, which is what we need. Um, but, yeah, well, I don't know. What do you what do you think, Alex? Yeah, I also think in the same frame there, Isaiah's probably worth more in a yeah. trade because he's making less money. I think if he can put on 20, 25 pounds, I think he's a good NBA player. I don't think he'll ever be a starting big, but, you know, you look at a team like Toronto, right? They always like those kind of athletic, dynamic bigs. So I think Ajax will be worth more in a trade. So for that reason, I'll probably say Isaiah. I also think on Adam, you asked if you should keep both. The only reason I would say no is, is third string center is like the easiest position to fill in basketball. You can go out and sign a guy for a minimum deal. You can keep Thais if you really wanted to have a third string center that badly. So, yeah, I, I do agree that the Pacers need to move one. And, yes, as much as I like Isaiah and I was really happy that we drafted him, it, it will probably be oh, – I, I feel bad for even saying it, but it will probably be him that gets dealt. The biggest tournament in college basketball is underway and the action is just getting started on DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and score $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Plus, combine multiple bets for a shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings will be featuring parlays and odds boosts all tournament long, so be sure to check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day to see what they have in store. I'm picking Miami to beat Connecticut and then win the national championship. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code TBPN. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I mean, both of them have been better than Goga. Let's, yes. <laughs> let's put that out there. So that's that's a win. Uh, and that's coming from the biggest Goga fan in the Southern Hemisphere right there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another guy I want to talk about that that might be playing his final season with the Pacers is TJ McConnell. Uh, we've just traded for George Hill. George has said that he wants to stay with the Pacers and retire with the Pacers. He's got a year left on his contract next year at $4 million. TJ's up around the $9 million mark. So, you know, as cap space potentially becomes more important with a Tyrese Halliburton extension on the horizon, entering his fourth season, uh, and I imagine it'll be a maximum extension for Tyrese. Uh, and he's made an all-star team. So that maximum extension would be more of the 30% of the salary cap than the 25%. Uh, I think he almost qualifies for that um, super max rookie extension. Um, but TJ McConnell's days might also be numbered. And he's been a really good servant of the ball club, Justin. He's been a popular member of the ball club. He uh, obviously was part of our first um, our first glorious moment with, uh, <laughs> with being asked about a comment that we made on one of our early shows uh, about his uh, movement around the court and passing being Steve Nash-like. So this holds a special place in our hearts. Um, also, I think would be a big fan of Australian red wine um, is is my understanding as well. So we we don't want to see him go, but I mean, do you keep a couple of veteran guards around to just kind of temper the ball club? And, you know, that probably extends to James Johnson as well. You probably want two or three guys at the end of the bench, 
like George Hill, like James Johnson, like TJ McConnell that have been through wars and have the opportunity to both teach the youngins how to be vet, how to be, you know, proper NBA players, how to behave like NBA players, um, but also uh, calm them down when things aren't going well. Yeah, I've got an extra soft spot for TJ now. Just after chatting to him for a bit, like I feel I felt bad when, or sad when you said that he might not be a pacer next year. He was, he's so nice to me, so um, I might be a bit biased now, but um, I'd love him to stay on the team. I feel like you can never question his effort. If you said to one one what's one pacer player who's giving you hundred percent every game is TJ McConnell. I feel like he's he's the sort of guy as well you want in a playoff series coming off the bench. He's that guy who's going to win you that random game five, you know, at home when Halliburton and Matherin are struggling and he'll come on and get the crowd involved and get you a few steals and, and score 16 points off the bench. I feel like yeah. you need that guy. Um, I, I would much rather him stay on as a vet than George Hill. I feel like, like being around the team, in somewhat for you know a few days slash a week, TJ McConnell brings great leadership, and I saw that with my with my own eyes. The players really rally around him, so I, I'd love for the Pacers to keep him. I love it, and you know I think if George Hill says that he wants to retire at the Pacers, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to retire at the Pacers. So um, it's just that he's making half as much as TJ is, but with the salary cap set to go up yet again, and with the Pacers having more salary cap room than almost everyone else, um, there's definitely the opportunity to keep TJ and George in the same locker room. Uh, Alex, you've always really appreciated White Iverson, uh, TJ McConnell, so I imagine that you want to keep him at all costs. <laughs> that was like one of my first favorite videos right there, the White Iverson video. <laughs> I got clown. I don't know if you, do you guys remember that video? Yeah. Clown so much for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Make um, another one. Yeah. No, nah, we got to keep White Iverson on for another year. I think as well, Nemhard's a combo guy. He can play the two with McConnell. I, I don't see any reason why he can't. So we will keep him for one more. So heading down the stretch here, we've got, I think, six, seven games remaining for the ball club and we're sitting, I think with about the sixth worst odds or the six best odds for the, uh, for the top pick in the 2023 NBA draft. I'm just kind of looking down the stretch at our schedule uh, and our remaining games and looking at the end of the season, we've got Milwaukee followed by OKC, Cleveland, New York, Detroit, and New York. There is only one team out of that final six games that's not trying to improve their uh, spot in the standings, and that's Detroit. So at this point, I'd say that we're probably odds on to either go one and five or two and four if we can steal one of those games against the Knicks or the Thunder because every other one of those teams is shooting for a playoff or a play-in spot. Justin, that would bring us down to, I think, about – uh, 34 and 48, um, which I think is, you know, still better than last season, but it should be good for about sixth or seventh best odds in the draft. Is that about where you thought we'd sit at the start of the season? Or, I mean, we've obviously exceeded expectations at the start, but it's all kind of evened out for you. Did you really, did you expect us to have one of the worst sort of three or four records in the in the league or did you think that this was probably more realistic 
No, I think this season's exceeded all my expectations. I, I feel like that eye test is is more substantial than the win-loss record, even if they've surpassed what everyone thought they'd get in the win-loss record. Let's be honest, if the Pacers were eighth, seventh, sixth seed right now, Miles Turner would be playing, Tyrese Halliburton would be playing, Buddy Hield would be playing. Yep. So they're doing the smart thing at the at the tail end of this season. I've I've been a sicko on tankathon.com. I've <laughs> been on it day and night, like updating, watching Portland games, watching Orlando games, watching Wizards. Like I I'm so annoyed at Portland. Like yeah, one and nine in their last ten. That's a that's a real tankathon lineup they're throwing out there. Oh, like, it's, it's disgusting. Like I know Pacers didn't put out their best team today, but the play Blazers have Damian Lillard, Simons, Nurkic, like Grant, and they're thirty-two and forty-three. They're one and nine in their last ten. They have gone full-on tank mode, and I just want to put it out there: like Damian Lillard gets a lot of love for loyalty and everything like that, but part of me thinks he kind of runs from the smoke as well because you are on a dreadful team and you got to take some accountability in that. Like, there's no way they should have the fifth worst record in the league. There is just no way. But anyway, that's for a different podcast. That's for the. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would love if we could if Orlando surpassed us. I've got no hopes on Portland. They're just they're done for the water. So I think one, two, three, four, five are set with Detroit, Houston, Spurs, Charlotte, and Portland. I feel like the only way we can get to that sixth spot is is if Orlando leapfrog us. And that's still hoping Washington get some wins because they've shut down Bradley Beal and Kuzma as well. Orlando over 500 their last 50 games. They started terribly, but they're actually playing okay basketball at this point, Alex. So it's pretty realistic that they pinch a couple late because that's kind of the mode that they're in right now. It's also that point of the season where you might get a top seed sitting some of their guys, right? So the Magic might have a tough game on their schedule, but... You know, if this team's sitting half their side of cheap wins. So, yeah, it's funny, isn't it, though? We were talking about lottery odds last year, and Adam, you're the master of this, I think, so you can probably correct me, but wasn't did we had the fifth best odds or no? Yeah, the fifth best odds, last and year? we had the – it was the lowest likelihood. It was weird how it worked. It was the, we had the lowest likelihood yeah. of getting the fifth pick. It was – yeah, because I, I think for – some, For some reason, I was going to say this year I feel – better about us moving up i don't know if that's just delusional or oh no i I don't i don't think it is i think the the closer you are to those uh records obviously the higher your odds are but i mean it only takes one ball falling your way for you to leapfrog everyone um so i think the the fact is we're more likely to move one or two spots back than stay where we are but we're also just as likely to leapfrog a bunch of teams into the top top three. So um, it's one of those spots where if you're picking in the top three, or if sorry, if you have one of the worst three records in the NBA, you're highly likely to get a pick in the first four picks. Um, but if you're after that first uh, that bottom three, you're either really really likely to move back one or two slots. Or um, you know, failing that, you're not going to stay in your stay put in your spot. You're going to leapfrog all the teams. Here's a question for you guys: If there's one team out of you know the top nine or so draft teams that you do not want to get Wemby, who would it be? Detroit for me, easily. Detroit. Yeah. Why's that? 
same division. Like, I don't want to play Wemby and Cade four times a year. I'm good with that. What about you, Adam? See, I I don't want I don't want Detroit to get him, of course, but I would probably feel worse if it was well, just as a basketball fan, if he went to Houston or Charlotte, like I feel like that's basketball hell for anyone. And I I wanna see I want to see the kid do great things. Like, just send him to me. San Antonio. Just yeah, just like, I think that's the safe pick. Um, is just send him to the Spurs and and have him build, you know, a Tim Duncan dynasty over the next twenty five years. But yeah, I definitely don't want to see him in the East. Um, what, about, what about you, Justin? I actually disagree. I'm actually Spurs. I, I think really? they shouldn't have got Tim Duncan all those years ago. And that's, they've been dreadful lately. And now it's like, oh, well, Popovich is just going to get the next generational center. I, I I don't like I don't like that. And, you know, I've got hot takes about Greg Popovich. I won't stay on air again. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously he'd be better suited going there than Houston or Charlotte, like you said, Adam. But I don't want San Antonio to get him. Um, I just feel like, oh man, like we we need an off season hot takeathon. I think that's a gimmick <laughs> that we use. It'll just be like, Justin for forty minutes. <laughs> yeah, like, in like August, we we have a hot takeathon, and one of us takes over each episode, and we give like our four scorching hot takes, and everyone else has to react and talk about it. I think that's happening because uh, in the dog days of August, post summer league. There's not much NBA to talk about, so. Alex, I, are you are you calling me the Skip Bayless of the Pacer Roots? Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> definitely is. Who's your just, just wait for my Ricky Rubio takes, mate. <laughs> who's who's you? If you're Skip Bayless, then your LeBron is uh, is probably Greg Popovich now. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, like the it person is. that everyone else thinks is really really good that you you don't think is very very good but look to your dame lillard point just talking about wider nba for a sec you're right like tim duncan was never on a lower than 50 win team sure he was you know surrounded by tony parker and manu ginobili but um at the same time the spurs were always ultra competitive because of tim duncan if tim duncan went down it's not as if a team with parker and ginobili are dragging them into the you know ninth seed or whatever um, they wouldn't have been a very good team with those two guys at the helm. They needed everything to flow through Duncan. So for Lillard to essentially tank a season or to have to tank a season because his team can't play, it, it just speaks to the fact he doesn't play good defense and you need your superstar to play both ways. Yeah. I, and, you know, the other year there were 13, 27 wins and 55 losses. Like, you know, Lillard, yeah, like I said, he, all this talk about loyalty, which is great to a small um, you know, small uh, franchise, very similar to the Pacers. If we had, you know, Halliburton stay with the Pacers, we would love him. He hasn't just ran off to the Lakers to try and get a ring, which I do respect and like, but, you know, this is getting ridiculous now. He's, he's had CJ McCollum, you know, he's got Anthony Simons now. That starting lineup is better than the Pacers' starting lineup. There's no way Portland should be having the same record as the Orlando Magic and worse than the Wizards. Like, he, he has to be held accountable. And, yeah, obviously I'm passionate about it because they've, they've kind of ruined the Pacers' draft odds a bit. So I've been yeah. watching them closely, which is frustrating. But, yeah, I think the biggest thing for the last six games, you just mentioned it, Alex, is, and I've learned through the Pacers as well, beating Milwaukee but then losing to Charlotte, you cannot pencil in any win. 
I just want to end on a really positive note. I'm super happy for Demata Sabonis uh, in Sacramento. I mean, they're, they're currently, what, the third seed? 145 games so far. Probably will end up with 50 wins. I mean, that guy worked his backside off for the Pacers for three or four seasons and made all-star teams and was super consistent and, you know, had endless debates over whether we should keep he or Miles Turner. And it just so happens that we traded the guy that had more trade value for a guy that, you know, worked out perfectly for what the Pacers want to do the next five or 10 seasons. But I'm really happy for the Kings. I'm, I, it's great. Well done to them. Like it is the perfect win-win trade as everyone keeps saying to me every time anything about Halliburton or Sabonis is brought up. Everyone <laughs> keeps telling me what a win-win trade it was. And I'm very happy to not fleece a team. Like as long as we made out as well as the team that we traded with, um, it's a very, very rare day that you have such a win-win trade, Alex, in the NBA. And this is a perfect example. It's also funny not being the laughing stock of a trade because yeah. I still remember vividly the day we traded Paul George for Oladipo and Sabonis. Right? Like we were the most yep. clown team in the NBA by far. And I mean until look, the first game of the season and everyone went, Whoa, okay. <laughs> exactly. That worked out perfectly for us. It's worked out amazing for SAC. It's worked out amazing for us. So yeah, I, I think, you know, we talked about the fits, right? Like Fox and Halliburton didn't fit together. Miles and Sabonis didn't fit together. And look, Miles is having a career year as well. So I think that's a big factor in it being a win for for Indy and for the Kings. So we'll wind down the last six games of the season and aim to bring you a new episode each Tuesday here on the Pacers across the end of this season and throughout the off-season as well. Thanks so much for listening. We've been the Pacers and we will be back next week.